Well, this is one of those Sundays where the sermon comes first, so we're going to do some more worship a little bit later. But we're going to get right into our sermon series. We uh, began a brand new sermon series last week. We introduced it called The Gospel of John. And we learned a little bit about John, the author, uh, disciple of Jesus, his closest friend. We also talked about just the uniqueness of the Gospel of John. That word gospel meaning the good news. And John's good news is focused on both the, the humanness of of Jesus and also his divinity or his godness as he came to earth. God in the flesh. And uh, and then we talk quite a bit about John's particular focus or purpose for writing this book. And that is so that his readers, that's us, right? His readers might believe, that's the word he uses, might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And we talked about how believing is more than just a thought up here, but it's the idea that we put our full faith, our full confidence in the work of Jesus as the son of God, as our savior and as our Lord. And that word Lord means our our ruler, the guy that calls the shots in our life. So that's John's purpose. And so today uh, we're gonna go all the way back to the beginning in verse one, because we didn't start at the beginning last week. We started almost to the end of the book. But today we're starting in verse one and we're gonna continue to work our way through in the months to come as we work through the gospel of John. Today, our message is entitled God with Skin. God with Skin. And we're looking at John chapter one, verses one through 18. We're gonna talk about the idea that Jesus took on flesh, took on skin so that we could become sons and daughters of God. You know, a while back, a few years back, there were numerous news stories published about some, uh, at that time, new data from NASA. And that data showed that here in our galaxy, just here in the Milky Way, there are about 8.8 billion, that's billion with a B, planets the size of Earth. And they are orbiting all of them around stars, much like our sun. And these 8.8 billion planets are what, uh, in a place that the scientists call the Goldilocks zone. Isn't that an interesting phrase? It's a zone that's not too cold and it's not too hot, but it's just right for life to flourish. So for perspective, just think about this. That's more planets than there are people on this one planet. It's a lot of planets, isn't it? Well, I was thinking about that. You know, if we, if we at some point discovered that there were creatures out there on one of those distant planets, it would be in our nature to try and communicate with them, wouldn't it be? Because we'd want to try to connect with them in some way. It's kind of like, uh, remember old uh, little Elliot and uh, E.T.? Remember that movie back from the 80s, that classic movie? Wanted to communicate, right? The reason we want to communicate and connect with other creatures is because the scriptures tell us that we people are designed in the image of God. We're the only part of creation that's designed in the image of God. And because of that, we are desirous like God is to communicate, to express, to reveal, to connect with others because that's what God does. And we have just come through the Christmas season not that long ago, that time of year when we looked back at the time when God arrived here on this planet as a baby, as a human being, as one of us. 
So today we're going to explore just how God became one of us, how he took on skin, so to speak, so that we would know who God is. So as I mentioned, we're going to start in the beginning of John's gospel. We're going to read his introductory comments together from John 1, 1 through 5. So the words are on the screen. Let's read these together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. That's the word of God. So, Here's our big idea for today. Something for you to take home, all right? The big idea, Jesus became flesh so that we could become sons and daughters of God. If you don't take anything else home today, I want you to hold on to that truth and that fact because that's a foundational fact for the rest of this gospel of John. So our first observation, we're gonna take three, three looks at this idea today. Our first one is this that God takes on skin so that we might know him. He takes on skin so that we might know him. This mysterious word, you saw that in the text, word with a capital W, became flesh, took on skin. He moved into our neighborhood, if you would. So we want to consider how God arranged that because it's all about he did it so that we would know him. So in this passage that we just took a look at in John 1, 1 through 5, John is using a particular word for capital W word. The word is, in, in the language of John that he wrote in Greek is logos. Now, you might recognize that word translated into English as literally word. Uh, and when he uses the, ta uh, the term, it, it sounds a lot like some of the, the words we recognize. Words like logical, logic. So when the Greek people heard the term logos, they would have thought that logical, rational principle. That's what they believed governed the world. The Greeks believed that there was a, an invisible, intelligent, integrating force behind the universe holding it all together. And of course, you remember they had all kinds of gods, didn't they? Uh, you know, created gods and statues of gods, and they believed that those gods did all kinds of things within this universe, but it was this force that was holding everything together. And so John, as he writes his gospel, he's kind of nodding to the Greeks, and he's saying, hey, guess what? There is such a power in the world. Uh, and if there was not such a power in the world, then uh, our being here would, would simply be the result of some sort of cosmic accident of some sort. And you know, if our life is simply the result of some accident a gazillion years ago, then guess what? Our lives lack significance. Our existence is accidental, and that means it's without meaning. But John is saying, no, 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 no. There is this logical, rational, intelligent power behind everything that we know. And John, of course, understands this power as God. And he is saying that the logos, the force, became one of us that first Christmas, all those years ago. He became a human with skin so that we might know 
who God is. You know, I meet all the people, people all the time, and you, you probably do, many people that don't quite understand the meaning of their lives. I mean, that's a popular question, right? What is the meaning of life? There's a lot of people that don't understand the meaning of life. There's a lot of people that kind of feel like uh, their life is like a book with a missing chapter. And what John is trying to say is that the logos, the, the word, this invisible power that's holding everything together became a human being, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is that missing chapter that will make the rest of the book of your life make sense if you will embrace it. God takes on skin so that we might know who he is. So John was writing to Greeks, but John was also writing to the, the Jewish people of his time, his fellow Jews. And when they heard that word, logos, they also would have thought about the word, word with a capital W. But they would have thought more about the one whose very nature is to communicate, to reveal to express, to connect. They would have thought of the one who is and was and always will be that seeks to make himself known to us. Uh, you know, if you have some sort of a thought in your mind, I, I can't see your thoughts, you can't see my thoughts, right? How do we express those thoughts? You know, um, how do you get that idea out? Well, you might do something, depending on your mood, you might do something like try to act it out in charades. You might try to draw a picture. But for most of us, the most natural way to express our thoughts and ideas is by using words, spoken or written words. And so the living word that John is speaking of here is the one who has always sought to communicate with us. 2,000 years ago, in that first Christmas season, the living word, the rational principle behind the universe became one of us. He took on skin so that we might know him. Now, most of us here have heard this true message of the Christmas story from the Bible before. This storyline likely doesn't stun most of us, but you know what? It would have shocked and it would have scandalized John's fellow Jews as he wrote about it and as he talked about it for the first time. Now, the Greeks in John's day would have been more okay with this story because, you know, they were used to a multitude of gods, you know, Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. They had statues everywhere of their gods, but, but John's fellow Jews, that, that wasn't up, up in their thinking at all. John's fellow Jews, in fact, had been forbidden to depict the living God in any kind of a, a concrete way, as in a statue or even in a drawing. In fact, John's fellow Jews regarded the living God as so holy, so other, that they even refused to pronounce his name. And so even when they wrote his name, they would take the vowels out of the word itself, out of God's personal name, and they would reduce it to just four consonants. All right, God's name in Hebrew is Yahweh. In English, it's Jehovah. But they would write Y-H-W-H because they were afraid that even, even in writing it out that they might accidentally speak the name of God irreverently or misuse it in some way. That's how 
holy they regarded the name of God. The reason, by the way, that people wanted to kill Jesus during his lifetime was because he claimed to be Yahweh, Jehovah, I am. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. On one, on one occasion, he said that before Abraham was, and, and remember, Abraham lived 2,000 plus years before Jesus, before the time of Jesus. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And we learned last week that that statement, I am, is Jehovah, Yahweh. It's God's personal name, and John, uh, Jesus was applying it to himself. In other words, Jesus is the pre-existing one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and what? The Word was God. And he spoke everything into existence. And so when his fellow Jews heard Jesus making that claim, before Abraham was, I am, they were so scandalized that they literally picked up rocks to stone him to death. Now, have you ever been really offended by somebody? Somebody just really ticked you off. You're so mad, maybe that you want to spit on them or punch them or kick them. We all know that feeling, right? Have you ever been so offended by someone that you wanted to, to pick up rocks and execute them right on the spot? Your blood is so curdled that you just wanted to, to kill them? That's how Jesus' fellow Jews felt about him. And why is that? Because Jesus claimed to be God, and for a Jew, the idea that God would become a human being was not only illogical, but it was blasphemous. It was the worst possible disgrace. And, and even among the many fans that Jesus had, the crowds that were following him, people who consider themselves to be his followers, even among those people... Many of them who even believed that Jesus was God because he did things that only God could do. Remember last week we just took a brief glimpse at some of the, the miracles that Jesus did. Things like opening the eyes of the blind and making lame people walk and turning water into wine. And he had the, you know, and of course Jesus had these incredible teachings and words that could only come from God. But many, uh, even of his own followers who believed that he was God, you know what? They doubted that he was actually a human being. And, and so some of his followers, his Jewish followers, were saying, well, he's God, but he's not really a human being. He just seems like a human being. And so that idea began to percolate even among, uh, at the time of Jesus, and, and it persisted, that idea that he was God, but he only seemed like a human being. That idea persisted for about 300 years after the death of Jesus. In fact, at one point it became so prevalent that in the year 325 AD, Christian people gathered and they had a, a something called a, this Council of Nicaea, the, our spiritual forebearers. And they hammered out what became known later as the Nicene Creed a statement of, of belief. And part of that affirms that Jesus was God, but part of that creed also affirms that Jesus was also uniquely human. 
And so in the Nicene Creed, we have these words about God. God was incarnate. Incarnate. That's a comes from a Latin root. Uh, and it, 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 the word carne, by the way, my last name is Carney. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> the word carne, con carne, it, it means, if, you, if you're Latin, uh, Latin background, Latin speaking Spanish, you know that that means with meat, right? So what does God con carne mean? It means God with meat, God with flesh, God with skin. So this is more than some sort of abstract theology that makes no difference in our lives. This very truth can change our lives and our eternity. We must understand this deep and important truth about Jesus, that he is God in the flesh. You know, the scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is uniquely and mysteriously 100% human and 100% God. And that's kind of mind-blowing for us. But why is this so important? I'm spending a little bit of time kind of hammering on this because I want, I want us to understand this is so important. Here's why. If Jesus was only 100% human, and then let's say he lived a sinless human life, then it would follow that when he died as a sacrifice for someone's sins, say mine or yours, to pay for our sins so that we would be absolved and forgiven. But, but you see, if he's just human and only human, he could only pay for the sins of one other person, right? Because he's only got one life to give and one person. It wouldn't make sense that he could pay for the sins of the whole world. But if Jesus is indeed both 100% human and 100% God, if Jesus was both a finite being and the infinite God, then you add to humanity mysterious infiniteness. I think that's a word. If not, I made it up. Infiniteness. I, I'm, I think it's a word though. But you multiply humanness with infinity and then you have someone that could die and not only for one other person's sins, not only to, to save somebody else, but for the sins of humanity, the whole world. That's why John says in our text a little bit later in verse 9, he says, the true light, that's Jesus, that's the word, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So this God in the flesh, this true light, this word was coming into the world. And so that is why, friends, when we celebrate the true Christmas story, because God, the true light, has come into the world. God has become a human being. He's taken on skin so that we might know who he is. And so the rational principle, the word, becomes flesh with meat, with skin, so that we might know who God is. You know, if uh, I was thinking, if John were writing this gospel today, instead of using the word logos, because that's not a part of our vocabulary, he might have used an expression like higher power. How many of us have heard that phrase? It's a pretty popular phrase in our culture today, higher power. All right? And because that's a term a lot of people use today, John might have said something like this. In the beginning was the higher power, and the higher power was God. And the higher power took on 
a body. He took on skin. He moved into our neighborhood so that we might come to understand who he is. I, I found one commentator, a guy by the name of Daryl Bruner, and he put it this way. He says, God is saying this to us. God is saying, all that I have ever wanted you to know about me, all that I've ever wanted to reveal about myself, I've made known in Jesus Christ. And so we look at Jesus and we see God. We look at the characteristics of Jesus and we see the characteristics of God. We look at the passion of Jesus and we see the passion of God. We look at the heart and the love and the kindness of Jesus and we see all that is from God. The living God has taken on flesh, con carne, meat with skin. He's become a human being so that we might know him. That's a foundational truth, and that's why we wanted to spend a bit of time on it. Let's move on, though, to another observation. Next, we find that the living God also took on skin so that he might know us. So that he would know us. Amazingly, the invisible God, 2,000 years ago, for the first time, became fully visible. You know, at first, he was barely visible. Barely visible as a single fertilized egg, an embryo. Hardly visible to the naked eye. And then as John describes, the light of the world voluntarily enters into darkness for nine months. And then what? He's born. The one who designed the eye as a newborn baby can't focus his eyes completely. He sees in black and white and then eventually in color. The living God of the universe cannot feed himself. He has to learn to breastfeed from his mother. The God of all things can't control his own bladder and bowels, and so he's got to wear diapers. He can't walk. When he's about one, he's able to take a few steps. At age two, he's able to say a few words. He'll fall, he'll scrape his knees as a toddler. He'll grow bored with his toys and walk away from them. He'll go through the emotional ups and downs of adolescence because he also is going through all those hormonal changes that we've all gone through. As a junior apprentice carpenter, he'll have splinters in his fingers. And as he's learning to hammer a nail on more than one occasion, he probably slips and hits his thumb. Maybe he even says something when that happens. Jesus Christ was fully human. You know, when I was in Bible college and seminary, I read textbooks about problems that other people might go through. I took some counseling classes. We read some case studies based on the stories of other people. And then I became a, a minister, a pastor, and... Over time, sometimes I would sit across from people and I would be getting to know them and they would be talking to me maybe about some of the deep pain that they're going through. And so I feel like because I've read about problems and I've listened to problems from people that I'm growing to know and care for, that I might know something about people's problems and pain. But you know what else? I also experience some of that pain for myself as you have in your life 
the death of both of my parents at a young age. Abuse from someone close to me. The heartache of those who were once close friends who have left me behind. You see, it's one thing to read about pain, isn't it? It's another thing to listen to someone else's pain and even to empathize with them. But it's still yet another thing to go through it yourself. And friends, here is what we know. Jesus Christ was fully human and he knows what we're going through. He knows what it means to be hungry and tired. He knows what it means to be broke. He knows what it means to feel alone at times, all alone. He even knows what it feels like to have his prayers go unanswered and to feel abandoned by his heavenly father. Do you remember on the cross when he was dying, he cried out and one of his statements was what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands. He knows. Jesus knows what it means to be abused, to be tortured, to have horrendous lies spoken about him. He knows what it means to be tempted by sin with the very real possibility of actually sinning. And though he didn't sin, he knows the feeling of shame that comes from sin because guess what? On the cross, he died and as he did so, he absorbed your sins and my sins. And my shame and your shame. And the sins and shame of the world were upon him in a heavy and dark and horrible, horrendous way. So, friends, no matter what it is that you are going through, no matter how depressed you may feel, no matter how deep in despair, in brokenness, Jesus understands because he has been through it and he stands with us in our pain, in our trials, in our hardships. You see, God took on sin that we might know him, but also he took on skin so that he might more fully know us through human experience. One last observation about God and skin. God takes on skin so that we might become like God. Wrap your mind around that for a minute. Become like God? What are you talking about? Well, finally, let's look at our text here in verse 12. John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, you know, when we hear that expression, receive him or believe in him, if we've heard that more than a few times, we might envision a, like a one-time deal, right? Where you welcoming Christ in, you receive him into your life, you, you're baptized, it's a one-time deal, that, that happened. Um, but that is, as is true of all of our close relationships, or if we end up with a partner or a getting married one day, we, we know from experience that we don't just receive and welcome a person once, do we? It doesn't work that way. But we can do that again and again and again as we share experiences, as we eat meals together, as we go through good and tough times together. Well, friends, I want us to understand that the same is true 
with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can receive him for the first time and it will begin to change our life, but we can welcome Christ again and again and again. And as we do so, we see our lives changed more and more and more. In the next verse, in verse 13, John writes these words. Children of God, he's talking about those who've received Jesus. Children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of the will of God. When, when we think of a, a child, we often think of them in relationship to their parents, whether it's biological or adopted parents. And in John's world, it was the same. People talked about children and their parents. So they thought of, you know, biological offspring or adoption, which was common in Jesus' day. But they also had a different concept of, of kids, a little different than, than we might have today. Um, they often used the expression, son or daughter of so-and-so. And that signified that that person was like their father or like their mother in some way. For instance, let me give you an example here. John, the author of this, of this gospel that we're, we're going through right now. John was a brother to another guy named James. James and John were brothers. They were also called the sons of Zebedee because their dad's name was Zebedee. But they were also called the sons of thunder. It's kind of like a nickname, right? And it was relating to this. Why were they called the sons of thunder? Because they were hotheads, all right? They had anger issues. And therefore, people began to call them the sons of thunder because they were like thunder in terms of their temperament. Watch out for John and James, the sons of thunder. Here they come. Don't tick them off. But they received Jesus Christ into their lives. They welcomed God. They became sons of God, children of God. And they began to take on the character of their Father in heaven. They became more patient, more kind, more loving. Perhaps they learned to deal with that anger in more positive ways. In fact, these two guys and their other disciple friends, they became so beautiful, so remarkable, that they are a part of the reason why Christianity goes viral in the first century. All right? It moved like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire from just, you know, 11 guys that were left following Jesus to 120, to thousands, thousands upon thousands, to hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands. And by the time that John is writing, somewhere around 90 A.D., Christianity has spread all over the known world at that time because people like John and James were sons of God. And it was so remarkable because they began to look more and more like their Heavenly Father. God takes on skin so that we might become like God. And friends, one of the great promises in Scripture is that because of his birth and because of his death on the cross for our sins, if we come to him humbly, 
that not only are our sins washed away, but we can become sons and daughters of God. We can become people who resemble our Father in heaven. God takes on skin so that we might become like him. Well, you know, for $8.95 on Amazon.com, you can buy a four-inch plastic bobblehead Jesus. He bounces on a metal spring. He adheres right onto your dashboard of your car. One advertisement, one, one part of the ad I saw said this. You can stick him where you need forgiveness. How cool is that? And another part said, he will guide you through the valley of gridlock. So you put him on your dashboard. You know, the dashboard Jesus, he's become somewhat of a cultural phenomenon. Back in 2005, there was a song, Plastic Jesus, by the rocker Billy Idol. And he sang, with my plastic Jesus, goodbye and I'll go far. With my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. But it's not just in the 2000s. We can go clear back into the 1960s. Some of you remember Paul Newman. Remember Paul Newman? Cool Hand Luke. And he sang a song, Plastic Jesus. He's saying, well, I don't care if it rains or freezes. Long as I have my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. Paul Newman strumming on his banjo, singing about plastic Jesus. Friends, to a lot of people in our world today, Jesus, church, Christianity, faith, are cultural trappings, but they're not life-changing realities. Many people today see Jesus like a plastic statue sitting on the car dashboard, smiling and robed, a halo suspended above his head, bouncing around. How cool is that? But that superstitious or sentimental view of Jesus is a myth. It's not real. Jesus of Nazareth was no plastic saint. He is a real world kind of savior. He is God in the flesh. God with skin. It's not important whether you have Jesus on your car's dashboard or one of those stickers of a fish on your bumper sticker. Those things don't matter. But it is vital to know that he is Lord of your life. He isn't plastic. He's powerful. He's not small. He's infinite. He's not a good luck token. He is the risen Lord of time and eternity. And he is waiting for each of us to make a decision to follow him. That is what the Gospel of John is all about. John said, I write these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that by believing, you might have life in his name. Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. The reality of Jesus is powerful. And he invites us into a powerful relationship. It's our choice to make. And he waits for each of us as he extends his hand. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will 
guide us this day, this week. Lord, help us to move away from the, the cultural trappings of, of Christianity. And Lord, help us to, to realize the reality of who you are. Lord, the reality of what you want to do in each of our lives, Lord. Father, you want us to rise above the circumstances of this world. You want us to have hopes and aspirations that are far superior to anything this world can offer. And God, you promise to give us everything pertaining to life and godliness when we call upon Jesus as Lord. Father, for those of us that have done that, we pray that you would stir our faith, strengthen it, push us to make changes that we need to make. And Father, for those who have not yet made that decision, Father, I pray that even today they might grapple with this important truth of putting their full faith and trust in your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. So John tells us that God became flesh, concarne. He took on skin so that we might know him. He took on skin so that he might know us. And he took on skin so that we might become the children of God. God's people who begin to bear the image of their Father in heaven. So I'll leave you with this question. What will you do with this Jesus?